Alrighty. As everyone else wraps up conversation in the room, welcome to those who are listening on the podcast as well. We're going to read from God's word in a second. A rowdy mob in here. Alrighty. Final chapter of the Gospel of Mark. We are in the very last chapter of Mark's account of Jesus' life. We made it. We've still got a few weeks to spare. We started in chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 16. And Karen's about to read the ending of the whole book, the whole of Mark's Gospel, uh, sort of. There's sort of multiple endings. Netflix thought they invented the whole choose-your-own-ending concept with some of their new shows, but actually, uh, as is often the case, God's Word did it first. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's okay. We're going to read it. And then uh, there's a little video, the end of a, uh, a video we started, by watching, uh, started watching last week, which talks about Mark's Gospel, and this little bit will be about the ending. So Karen's going to read uh, for us from Mark 16. Yeah, so this is Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. No, no, okay. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so now we're going to watch a little video explaining what this is. About. beaten and hung up on a cross where he died. And it's here in this crucial scene that we meet a new character, a Roman soldier who suddenly gets everything that's going on. He says, surely this is the son of God. Which is crazy. It's an enemy who's first putting it all together that Israel's messianic king is the crucified Jesus. That's the structure of the book of Mark. But the book doesn't end with Jesus dead on the cross. No. So on the third day, some women go to visit Jesus' tomb, only to find that it's empty. And then there's this angel standing there, instructing them to go and tell this good news that Jesus is alive from the dead. But instead, they run away, and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid, and that's how the book ends. Which is a really abrupt ending. Yeah, it's so abrupt that later scribes did add an ending that brings more closure to the story. And you'll find that story in your Bible with a little footnote that says it was added much later. But Mark's a brilliant storyteller, and he's intentionally ended this book abruptly. So all through the book, the disciples have been confused about Jesus' plan to give up his life, the story in the middle and now right here at the end. It's like Mark is acknowledging just how startling this claim really is. And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it for yourself. 
Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah that they've been waiting for? Alrighty. So the thing about a debated ending to, to a book of the Bible like this one, uh, you know, this question of was there an ending written by Mark that actually got lost after the eight verses we've just written, or uh, read, sorry, or, or was there the abrupt ending and his, was that Mark's intention? This, this, um, this debate means that there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of hypothesizing. Some theologians agree with what the video just said, some people don't agree. Does it matter? Not really. Is what we have in verses 1 to 8 that we just read, and then in verses 9 to 20, which Aaron's going to cover next week, is it reliable? Is it helpful? Is it helpful for us to hear the voice of the Lord, to learn his ways? Yes, it's helpful, and it's important. Um, and the question posed in the video uh, is, which is, what is our response? What's the response we have? That's a valid and important question, regardless of whether Mark ended in verse 8 or whether there's an ending that got lost or whatever. Um, what is the response in our innermost being to an empty tomb where Jesus laid? Will it be like the response of the women or something different? What's our response? So let's pray as we uh, meditate on this and reflect on this this morning. Father, thank you for your living word Thank you for Jesus and that we in uh, your written word read about his life, not just as an example to us, but one who has risen from the dead, that that may impact us deeply and significantly. And uh, as we, your church, come together this morning to uh, meditate on the words of Scripture, to consider how you want to transform our lives through what you have spoken, we pray you'd open our hearts, open our ears, our minds to what you have to say to us as we pray each Sunday and each time we open your word. Father, we thank you that your word has been passed down from generation to generation that we may have it here readily accessible to us to now ask the question of what you are calling us to do about what you're saying. And uh, we ask, Lord, that our response this morning would be pleasing to you, our Heavenly Father who loves us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a question. Has something or someone ever caught you off guard? Anything or, or anyone ever just really surprised you? Something out of the blue? Yeah, think about a time when you were caught off guard. How did, how did it make you feel? Depending on what it was. Was it scared or excited or confused? Obviously, it depends on whether it's a good thing or a bad surprise, but... How does something like that, where you're caught off guard, how do, we, how do we respond? How do we feel when that happens? A couple of weeks ago, I was caught off guard when um, less than an hour after a Uniting Church committee meeting about our debt with the investment fund, Mark called me and said they made a decision. In a Uniting Church committee meeting, they made a decision. Uh, that, that, if you didn't know, is, is rare. Um, <laughs> And it was a good decision, and it happened then, and, and my response was to be a little sceptical. Are we sure this has happened? But it had happened. I was surprised, a bit shocked. Um, when it comes to not-so-good surprises, on the other hand, I remember the day that uh, I got a phone call to say that we'd lost a beloved pet. That may have happened to some of you, and it may have been a shock. 
and the reaction of, of, of shock and some, some grief, if not, you know, maybe delayed, but still grief and some surprise about how I was feeling with that. Another time I was caught off guard was when I, uh, I prayed for someone um, that they would be healed of a condition they'd had for many years, and then the next day they messaged and said, it worked. And my response was kind of like, praise God, are you sure? <laughs> I was kind of caught off guard. How do we respond? How would you respond if something wonderful but totally unexpected happened to you? How we respond if this happens to us? This is, uh, this is exactly what happened to the women at the empty tomb. Now, bear in mind, they're still processing something that has already caught them off guard uh, less than 48 hours earlier. Their saviour and their friend Jesus has been murdered. They've had, to, they've had to anxiously wait through the Sabbath because they couldn't embalm the body during that time. So they've had to wait all day and night before they could go to the tomb to, to anoint his body with the, with the spices and perfumes. And, and they're wondering as they go there, how are we even going to get in? I mean, it's, they're not exactly having a normal day in the first place. They're already shocked and, and, and grieving and, and, and unsure how to respond. And as they, they see the stone is already rolled aside, uh, Jesus' body is, is gone and, and there's an angel sitting there. And, and you can imagine the, the, the shock and the confusion. and what, what, How do we respond to this now? What does the angel say in that moment? He says, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Now, some people say that or something like that when they're bearing bad news, you know, because they don't want you to freak out, right? Hey, look, it's all going to be okay. Don't worry, but, and then they kind of break the news to you. This is not that. The angel in this case is aware that it's good news, but the shock of the whole situation has the potential to stop them from recognizing how good the whole thing is that it's so out there and, whoa, I don't know if I can handle this, that he, he just wants him to take a breath. Go, hey, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. What's our response to this same news, to the news that Jesus is alive? It's possible that the unexpectedness of it. The fact that a dead man has been raised is so contrary to our experience of reality, and it's possible that it's so jarring that we respond by saying, look, I get it, but I'm just trying to deal with life right now. I'm trying to work through some grief. I'm trying to get on with the job I have. I'm trying to just do what I think I need to do in this life. But subconsciously, we know, I think, at least we know, just like the women knew, that this changes everything. It's not just something we can go, oh, that's nice, and keep moving on. Uh, I think we know that there's no such thing as, a, as just a normal life anymore if a dead man is alive, especially a dead man who claimed to be God and who claimed to bring God's kingdom to worth and, and that who claimed that he would do this through dying for our sins and rising again as the first among many who would believe and trust in God. So 
so the angel's words, therefore, are for us too. In the shock of this, to go, to say to us, don't be alarmed. Yeah, it's big news. It's going to dramatically transform your life, indeed. It's going to mean no more business as usual. But stop for a second and, and take a breather. Just stop and recognize this might actually be a good thing. This might be good news. And I want to encourage us just with three simple things today. The first one is to let our response to the, to the resurrection simply to be to, to not be alarmed, to, to stop and take note and explore this, explore the implications in our lives. Are we stopping to take note of the fact that the empty tomb is unexpected? Yes. It's hard to grapple with? Yes. But, but it's worth giving our attention to. It's worth, it's worth putting our lives on hold to explore it, to, to see what kind of difference it might make. Maybe you've done that many years ago. Maybe you never have before. Maybe you need to revisit it. But just to, to stop and take note. Are we, are we just being shocked like the women? Uh, or are we taking a breath, having a good look at this? Um, the advice to the women uh, from the angel at the tomb there was, was to take a breath and recognize this means that you're going to meet up with him again. This Jesus you knew and you, who you hung out with, who you saw die, you're going to see him again. You're going to be with him again. Now go and tell his disciples, they, uh, he says, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. That's what the angel says. The, the empty tomb is, is good news for them because it means he's present again. He's, he's going to be near to them again. They can be with him again. And I think it's no different for us. What's, what's the good news in this for us? It's the same, that the, this, this resurrected, glorified Jesus, God's very presence on earth, he is here. He's available for us to meet with him. It's the same good news. Now, when we read the Bible, when it says that Jesus, if you know some of the rest of the story, uh, it says that Jesus ascended to heaven, right? So he died, he rose, and then he ascended, and um, in, in some versions, the disciples are kind of going, oh, he's just disappeared into the clouds, what's going on? Um, and then at Pentecost, uh, he, he sent the Holy Spirit, who's called the Helper. I feel like when we, we read this stuff, we're, we're reminded of these events, that we think of this as like, uh, Jesus was really God on earth. That's amazing. That, that's incredible. But then he left... And he kind of sent a junior assistant version of himself that's small enough to, to live inside our hearts and help us get on with life. That's how I feel like we, we talk about this sometimes. Um, that, that, that the Holy Spirit is, is Jesus' nice little messenger who, who politely does what almighty King Jesus, Lord of all, and Heavenly Father asks from up there in heaven. I don't know, is that just me? Or do you get the impression that sometimes we, we maybe subconsciously feel, feel that way? Let me read something from Ephesians chapter 1. And this is from the message version, it'll be on the screen. All this energy issues from Christ, that God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. 
And that's, that's great. This is the, the resurrected Christ who those disciples saw and who they, they touched him, they spoke with him. But then listen to what follows. It's not just this Jesus and now he's kind of he's gone away. Listen to this. At the center of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts. Why is Jesus' resurrection, that he's present again, that he's here again, why is this such good news? Because the God of the universe did not just visit us like a little holiday temporarily. He came to stay. The Holy Spirit, also in parts of Scripture called the Spirit of Jesus, given to the church, is given collectively and to individual members of it. So we now form the body, his body, Jesus' body, in which he speaks and acts. Now, forgive me for preaching just a little bit here. Do you know what happens when God speaks? There's this one time he spoke and a universe was created. Remember that? What about when God breathes? One time when God breathed, human life was formed out of the dust. When God speaks, when he breathes, his his breath, his being close, because breath you can only feel when you're close, gives life. The resurrection of Jesus means that our access to life itself is re-established because God is here to stay. That is incredible news. And we get the privilege of being in the presence of the one, the only one, who gives life, who sustains life, who through whose very words can create something new. Now, I know you all, all know this. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But we need to be reminded of this sometimes. To be reminded to, firstly, just stop and take note. And then to embrace this as good news, that the giver of life is here with us. Not a junior assistant version of God, the little Holy Spirit who's given to us just to help us. No, the giver of life, the one who sustains life, who gives life, real life, eternal life, is here with us. But if Mark's trying to challenge us in in his gospel, Remember the video said, you know, what will our response be? Will we, will we run in fear or will we respond to the good news? If, if this is the, the good news, God is near to us, why is that even a choice? Why would we want to run away instead of embracing this good news? It doesn't seem like there's a choice. It doesn't seem like it would be, it seems to be silly to do anything than to say, that's, that's excellent news, I want to embrace that. Jesus is alive. God's here to stay. We can be reconciled to him despite the separation caused by our sin. We can be reconciled to God. Notice this, that is immediately after the good news from the angel comes a responsibility. What does the angel say? Jesus is alive. You're going to see him again. Now go and tell. Now go and tell his disciples that this is going to happen, that he's alive. How, how awesome is it that I think it's awesome that the, the, the church is Christ's body 
That in it he speaks and in it he acts. What a privilege, what a blessing, what, what good news. But then check out the next bit. So I read Ephesians 1, I think it was 20 to 23, up to the very last bit. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. The resurrection means the one who comes and gives life, he's come near, we can meet with him, we can find life in him, and it means that filled with his presence, we now take him to the world. Wow, what a responsibility. Now, those women at the tomb didn't actually do what the angel asked. They, they, at least not at first, they didn't actually take a deep breath and go, okay, no need to be alarmed, no need to be afraid. And they didn't recognize you know, what was happening and then go and tell their friends the good news. They actually freaked out a little. They got scared because it was all a bit much. Understandably, this is, this is full on. And I suspect that we often do the same. I know I do, because once we realize what life in Christ really means, it's a bit much to process. Anybody else feel like that? Only two people. That's good. The rest of you are sweet. It's a, it's a lot to take on. What it means in a nutshell is that Jesus takes the baton and passes it to you and me and us. And, and, and that's, that's big. And for this whole year, we've been looking at, at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, this incredible healer, miracle worker, proclaimer of the kingdom of God, friend of sinners, teacher, trainer, the one who laid his life down, servant of all. And, and we haven't just studied his life for 10 months because we can go, oh, great, there's a nice example to follow. We've studied his life for 10 months and over the, the history of this church because he plans to live through us from this point forward. That's his plan, to live through us. Everything he did and more is now lived out through us. And when you and I begin to grasp that, and he begins to do that in us, whether, whether that be an opportunity for a miracle or for people who, who want to know about the kingdom of God, for you to share that with them, or whether that be standing in front of opponents who don't like your beliefs, honestly, when God begins to do this in us, it's honestly easier to... Run. I know life in Christ is amazing and, and, and this is the day the Lord has made and let's rejoice and be glad in it. And, and God's good all the time and hallelujah, praise Jesus. But if Christ lives in me, he's going to change a few things. And so I'm a little bit scared. Could you hear the rest of what I was saying? Okay, that's good. So I'll just stay back here for a while. And whether it's the nerve-wracking responsibility of explaining to someone what life in Jesus is all about, or whether it's, whether it's the, 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 the risk of, of praying for a friend who needs to be healed so that God would be able to display his power in their life and want him to show up to give an opportunity to to share how good God is or whatever it be. Maybe the fear of being different among colleagues who think that Christians are ignoramuses. We will be scared from time to time. It's understandable. It's, 
it's easier to just want to run. Not literally run away to another land or something, but to, to run to other things, to run to comfortable things, right? To things that are familiar, to, 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 to places and to people and to situations that are, are, are just a bit more normal. Especially when you recognize that for, for Christ to live in you means that you die, right? To live a resurrected life means that you've got to be, we've got to be crucified first. For us to, to die to ourselves and to keep dying to self every day so Christ can live in you. But the words of the angel uh, who's a messenger from God in this story, I just feel this is a simple message for us today. Don't be alarmed. Another translation says, don't be afraid. You know, this realization that, that Jesus is alive and, and that it transforms our whole reality, it's, it's huge, but it's good. Don't be afraid. You might ask, is it really necessary? I mean, I've, I've stopped, I've, I've taken notice of, of this news. I've received this, I've embraced this good news. I'm grateful that I now get to meet with Jesus. So I've done those first two things. Why do I then have to become someone with a, with a responsibility so great as to, to deliver the message or, or to carry his presence. Surely that's not me. Surely, surely that's someone who's more experienced or more trained. Let me ask this. Why the women in this story? After Jesus invested so much time in 12 men to be his disciples, and traditionally in those days it would have been the men who would be the disciples of the rabbi. Why in Mark's Gospel then do we read that two women had the important and significant task of being the first to hear the good news and carry the message to others? Is it because the dudes all messed up, which they did, most of them? Well, then the women mess up too, so that wouldn't prove anything. Did it, is it that they just happened to be there because they were there to anoint the body and so the angel was just like, oh, well, I'll tell them. Well, no, he could have said, hey, can you go get Peter? I need to tell him something. But in a first century context, the response, with, with uh, the status of men and women not being the same, the, the responsibility of being the first disciples to carry the news of Jesus' resurrection, that responsibility being given to women, that says something Really important. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. No matter who we are, those who are in Christ are all called and all chosen to have a relationship with God directly through Jesus and then a responsibility that goes hand in hand with that to carry his presence and to proclaim good news to all. Paul says there is... It, Paul says it this way, there's no male or female, there's no slave or free or Jew or Gentile. You might say there's no educated or uneducated, no clergy or laity, no privileged or poor, no gifted or ordinary. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We all carry the same responsibility and privilege. You bring the presence of God to your family, to your uh, workplace. You carry a life-transforming message like to, to, to your mother's group or, or, or to your book club or to your university. You bring light in a dark world. And, and church, I want to encourage you this morning um, to, yes, stop and take note of what the resurrection means. To embrace the good news, if we go to the next slide, that Jesus is here to stay. To do those things. And sometimes... 
That's more awful all the time. That's the starting point. We need to start there. Um, to embrace this good news that you can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ, who died for your sins and was raised to life so that you may have life. And then as he calls you to carry his gospel and his presence everywhere you go, remember that this is actually a battle. Uh, I talked about this a few weeks back. This is not easy. You're, You're invading enemy territory, but don't run away. Don't run to busyness or, or, or comfort or, or, or normality. Go and I want to ask us to do one thing, and that is to stand. To stand in faith, to stand in, in prayer, to stand in for God when things are Godless, wherever you may be, to stand wherever God has placed you and to invite him into that place. As you do this, we, most importantly, as the church, as the body of Christ, in whom he speaks and acts, by whom he fills everything everywhere with his presence, we together, we stand. We stand together. I asked a few people uh, before the service today if they would share their answer now to this question. Where will you be at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, in your ordinary week, Monday morning, first thing Monday morning, and what are you trusting God for? Um, so a few people said they'd be willing to answer that question. Um, and they're going to just come and share where they will be because this is our ministry. This is who we are called by Jesus to take his presence into the world. The ordinary places of our work or play or or study, uh, and so those who said they'd be happy to, to share that, could you just come forward now? Um, that would be great. Um, cool. So, Hello. where will you be at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, Jemima, in your ordinary week, and what are you trusting God for? I will be on the way to um, a client's house, yep, um, to work, and... At the moment, I'm trusting God to provide work for my fiancé, Chris, as well, in Perth. So, um, yeah, that we can move on with our lives and future and planning and that kind of thing. So, yep. And how could we pray for the client, you said, who you're seeing, and how God might show up in something like that? Yeah, um, I, I often pray for opportunities to open up to clients about Jesus. Um, yeah, but when, when they... Uh, inquisitive and that kind of thing. So, yep. yeah, they're all very different, and um, it's it's really good to have opportunities that arise. So, that would be um, a really good prayer point. I think. Awesome, cool. Thank you, Evon. Where will you be at nine o'clock Monday morning? And what are you trusting God for? Okay, um, actually, didn't say yes to you, but <laughs> <laughs> I realized that um, when I saw your message again, and you had an example that says. You might be, um, there might be a colleague at work that's going through a hard time. And actually, I do have a colleague of mine. She works very closely with me. Um, she came in Monday last week in tears to work. So uh, we knew she wasn't in the right frame of mind to actually work. So we got her to take a day off. And when she came back, she actually told us that um, her fiancé, um, as suffering from alcoholic abuse and they're actually getting married in two months. 
So I think that's what I'm going to be praying for her for. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Good. So she's kicked him out of the house, but after the prayer uh, for her last Wednesday, um, he's come back into the house. Awesome. <laughs> Praise God. Um, I'll probably be trying to multitask tomorrow. <laughs> Um, on Wednesday, I've got a workshop which I need to facilitate and it's been the work that I've been doing around ending homelessness and bringing the community on board. Um, so I'll be thinking about um, and praying to God to help guide um, how, how that workshop will go and to help me, um, I guess, um, bring the right um, ideas and motivation forward from people who will participate. But the other one is probably a more first world problem. My iPhone died yesterday. And I'll probably be on my way to the Apple shop um, <laughs> to try and get it fixed. Because <laughs> unfortunately, I do rely on my phone. I've got about four email boxes. And um, without it, uh, life can get pretty messy. So yeah. anyway. Sure. Yep, absolutely. iPhones are important. <laughs> and this, friends, you know, this is your ministry. This, what, however you would answer this question, it's... This is, this is your, yes, ministry. It's, you know, and it's right around the corner for every single one of us. And I'm not talking about a program or a qualification or serving on Sundays or anything like that. I mean, when we talk about our ministry, our, our witness to Jesus, it's when, we, uh, it's when we step into whatever we step into, 8 o'clock Monday morning, 9 o'clock Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even Sunday afternoon after we leave this place. And when we join together on Sunday mornings, one hour or so a week, we actually, for that one time in the week, step out of ministry to, to recalibrate before we step back into the responsibility God has for us. Um, maybe before we pray for those four we just heard from and, and for all of us, um, uh, you would just shout out in one or two words your answer to that question or something you're trusting God for this week. If you have something on your mind, just shout it out from where you are. What is it that we can pray for, stand together? So, so others can hear for Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. So for friends, we go to, I'm, I'm sure there's many things, despite uh, it's silent in the room, but I imagine that a lot of what's on our minds that what we're trusting God for week to week, whether we express it or not in prayer, um, it might be provision, it might be protection, it might be uh, God's providence. Um, trying to think of more P words. <laughs> God coming into a situation, giving us the words to proclaim the gospel. 
to proclaim good news for someone's situation. It might be uh, the help to care. Um, it might be anything that means that some way, somehow, through us, we bring his presence into the life of another person. So as we pray for one another, I want to, um, and as we pray for our, our ministries, really, I want to finish with these words from Ephesians that remind us as the body of Christ how to stand, not just on our own, but together. Listen to these words. This is from the message version. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. There is no, uh, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. So take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. And don't forget to pray for me, Paul says. Pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time, telling the mystery to one and all. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we step into Monday morning, so to speak, into our places and spaces of, of, of living our normal life, that you would show us that the lives you've given us as you live through us are far from normal, that you've called us to be carriers of your presence and of this life-transforming message, and that in the ordinary days we live of working with students or with clients or of visiting those who are in need or of, uh, of walking through a shopping centre, of being with our kids or being with friends, we pray that you would show us that this is our ministry and that we're not there just as ordinary people, but as those who you have called and chosen to carry your presence with us, that we may see that same transformation that you have enacted in our lives, in the lives of those around us. And Father, I pray for those who shared this morning of how they're trusting you. And as we trust you, God, in our everyday life, that you would hear those prayers and that you would step in, that you would show yourself to be the good and loving God who we believe you are. In our everyday lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
team's going to lead us in uh, one of the songs we sang earlier. Just to declare.